Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Specials for the buy one, get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens! Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night. Frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries. But I promise all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, we have a very interesting listener suggestion that I just can't wait to jump into. So, With that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So choose your poison accordingly. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say house? That will be a single shot. And every time I say Janet, that's going to be a double shot. I know you guys are scratching your heads, but I promise it will come together. (laughs) All right, now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. So, don your very best bell bottoms and your highest platforms and get your best Farrah Fawcett do going for today's offering of the truth about the Enfield Poltergeist. It's 1977. Let's just think on that for a moment. 1977. The Supreme Court has just denied the appeal of the Watergate conspirators. President Jimmy Carter has just raised the minimum wage to a whopping $3.35 an hour. Yeah, I know. You guys are like going, holy crap! And it's not much more than that now. Apple Computers had just become incorporated, and Rocky, the original Rocky, won the Oscar for Best Picture. 
But none of these or any other mundane facts could ever prepare us for today's story. Where in the town of Enfield, England, supernatural events would start a chain of events that would bring the world-famous paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren in to investigate. But what they would discover would become one of the most famous poltergeist hauntings of all time and would become the inspiration behind the motion picture for The Conjuring 2. And that's where we start today. The rasping male voice sent a chill through the room. Hauntingly, it delivered a message from beyond the grave, describing in graphic detail the moment of death. Just before I died, I went blind, and then I had an hemorrhage, and I fell asleep, and I died in the chair in the corner downstairs. The eerie voice, which can still be heard on audio files today, is purportedly that of a Bill Wilkins. The recording was made in Enfield, North London, in the 70s, several years after his death. Most horrifying of all, however, was that the voice was coming from the body of an 11-year-old girl, Janet Hodgson. She appeared to be possessed. It could have been a scene from the film The Exorcist, but it was real. What was going on? This was the case of the Enfield Poltergeist, which held the nation spellbound 30 years or so ago, puzzling policemen, psychics, experts in the occult, and hardened reporters alike. It involved levitation, furniture being moved through the air, and flying objects swirling towards witnesses. There were cold breezes, physical assaults, graffiti, water appearing on the floor, and even claims of matches spontaneously bursting into flame. A policewoman even signed an affidavit that she had seen a chair move on its own. There were more than 30 witnesses to the strange incidents. Most inexplicably, the young girl at the center of the events seemingly acted as the mouthpiece for Bill Wilkins, a foul-mouthed, grumpy old man who had died in the house many years before. His son contacted investigators to confirm the details of the story. The events unfolded for more than a year behind the door of an ordinary-looking, semi-detached council house on a suburban street filled with similar houses and left those that they touched permanently scarred. Naturally, many questioned whether it was all a hoax, but no explanation other than the paranormal has ever been convincingly put forward. But just what happened in Enfield? all those years ago. Where are the Hodgsons now? And have they escaped their ghosts? Could they have made this whole incident up? And just who lives at 284 Green Street now? The story, as the Hodgson family told it, begins in 1977. Peggy Hodgson was unusual at the time in that she was a single mother to four children. Margaret, 12, Janet 11, Johnny 10, and Billy 7, having split from their father. 
It was the evening of August 30th, 1977, and Mrs. Hodgson was keen to get her children into bed. She heard Janet complaining from upstairs that her and her, other, her brother's beds were wobbling. Miss Hodgson told her daughter to stop mucking about. The following evening, however, there was an altogether more bizarre disturbance. Miss Hodgson heard a crash from upstairs. Upset, she went to tell her children to settle down. Entering their bedroom with Janet's Starsky and Hutch posters on the wall, Miss Hodgson saw the chest of drawers move. She pushed it back, but found that it was being propelled towards the door by an invisible force. It seemed as if some supernatural presence was trying to trap the family in the room with the heavy oak chest. Many years later, Janet would tell a documentary, and I quote, It started in a back bedroom. The chest of drawers moved, and you could hear shuffling. Mom said, I want you to pack it in. We told her what was going on, and she came to see it for herself. She saw the chest of drawers moving. When she tried to push it back, she couldn't, end quote. Janet's sister Margaret explained how the activity increased, and I quote, There were strange little noises in the house. You couldn't make out what was going on. None of us got sleep. We put on our dressing gowns and slippers and went next door. The family appealed for help from their neighbors, Vic and Peggy Nottingham. Vic, a burly builder, went to investigate for himself. And he says, and I quote, I went in there and I couldn't make out these noises. There was a knocking on the wall, in the bedroom, on the ceiling. I was beginning to get a bit frightened myself. Margaret adds, and I quote, He said, I don't know what to do. I'd never seen a big man like that looking scared, end quote. The Hodgkins called the police, who proved to be similarly mystified. WPC Carolyn Heaps saw the chair move. She said at the time, and I quote, a large armchair moved, unassisted, four feet across the floor, end quote. She inspected the chair for hidden wires, but couldn't find any explanation for what she had just seen. Eventually, the officers left, telling the family that the incidents were not a police matter, as they couldn't find anyone breaking the law. I mean, I guess a natural law isn't a law that they can handle, but okay, I get it. Next, the Hodgkins contacted the press. Daily Mirror photographer Graham Morris, who visited the house, said, and I quote, It was chaos. Things started flying around. People were screaming. Some of the events were captured on camera, and the images are disturbing to say the least. One shows Janet's tiny form apparently being thrown across the room. In others, her face is distorted in pain. The BBC even went to the house, but the crew found the metal components in their tape equipment had been twisted and all their recordings erased. Next, the family sought help from the Society for Psychical Research, SPR for short. It sent investigators Maurice Gross and Guy Lyon Playfair, a poltergeist expert who subsequently wrote a book, This House is Haunted, about the affair. The author Will Storr spoke to Gross, who has since passed on, when researching his own book, Will Store vs. The, Su the Supernatural, which also features this case. Gross told him, and I quote, 
As soon as I got there, I realized that the case was real because the family was in a pretty bad state. Everybody was in chaos. When I first got there, nothing happened for a while. Then I experienced Lego pieces flying across the room and marbles. And the extraordinary thing was when you picked them up, they were hot. I was standing in the kitchen and a t-shirt leapt off the table and flew into the other side of the room while I was standing by it, end quote. The investigators found themselves caught in a maelstrom of apparently psychic activity with every poltergeist trick thrown at them. Sofas levitated, furniture spun round and was flung across the room, and the family would be hurled out of their beds at night. One day, Maurice and a visiting neighbor found one of the children shouting, I can't move! It's holding my leg! They had to wrestle the child from what all involved insisted was the grip of an invisible hand. The ongoing knocking was one of the most chilling aspects of the case. It would run down the wall, fading in and out, as it apparently played an unnerving game with the family, who became so scared that they slept all in the same room with the lights on. Most of the activities centered on 11-year-old Janet. She went into violent trances, which were awful to behold. On one occasion, the iron fireplace in her bedroom was wrenched from the wall by unseen forces. Family members also claimed to have seen her levitating, floating clean across the room. She told Channel 4 at one time, and I quote, I felt used by a force that nobody understands. I really don't like to think about it too much. I'm not sure the poltergeist was truly evil. It was almost as if it wanted to be a part of our family. It didn't want to hurt us. It had died there and wanted to be at rest. The only way it could communicate was through me and my sister. End quote. Some cast doubt on the events, however. Two SPR experts caught the children bending spoons themselves and questioned why no one was allowed in the same room as Janet when she was using her gruff voice, apparently that of Bill Wilkins. Indeed, Janet admitted that they fabricated some of the occurrences. She told ITV News in 1980, and I quote, Oh yeah, once or twice we faked phenomena, just to see if Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair would catch us. They always did. I wasn't very happy to hear about the film. I didn't know anything about it. My dad had just died, and it really upset me to think of all this being raked over again, as she describes the poltergeist activity as traumatic. It was an extraordinary case. It's one of the most recognized cases of paranormal activity in the world. But... It was quite daunting. I think it really left its mark. The activities, the new newspaper attention, and the different people in and out of the house. It couldn't have been a normal childhood. Asked how much of the phenomena at Green Street was faked, Janet would say 2%. She also admitted playing with a Ouija board with her sister just before the activity flared up at the house. She says she was unaware that she went into trances until she was shown the pictures herself. And she said, and I quote, I recall being very distressed by the photos when I was a child. I was very upset. I knew when the voices were happening, of course. It felt like something was behind me all of the time. They did all sorts of tests, filling my mouth with water and so on, but the voices still came out. It was hard. I had a short spell in the Maudsley Psychiatric Hospital in London where they stuck electrodes on my head, but the tests proved normal. 
The levitation was scary because you didn't know where you were going to land. I remember a curtain being wound around my neck. I was screaming and I thought I was going to die. My mom had to use all her strength to rip it away. The man who spoke through me, Bill, seemed angry because we were in his house. And the situation had a huge effect on the family. Janet says, I was bullied at school. They called me ghost girl and put crane flies down my back. I would dread going home. The front door would be open. There'd be people in and out. You didn't know what to expect. And I used to worry a lot about mom. She had a nervous breakdown in the end. I'm not one for living in the past. I want to move on. But it does come to me now and again. I dream about it and then it affects me. And I think, why did it happen to us? Her brother was called Freak Boy from the ghost house, and people would spit at him in the street. Janet herself was on the front page of the Daily Star with a headline that said, Possessed by the Devil. She left home at 16 and married young. She lost touch with everything, all the coverage of the case in paranormal books, and she felt like her mother felt that people walked all over her and felt exploited by it. Shortly after the press attention drifted away, Janet's younger brother Johnny died of cancer at just 14. Janet's mother then developed breast cancer, dying in 2003, and Janet suffered the loss of her own son in his sleep when he was 18. She rejects any suggestion that the whole story was faked in pursuit of fame or money, and says, and I quote, didn't want to bring it up again while my mom was alive, but now I want to tell my story. I don't care whether people believe me or not. I went through this, and it was true. Asked again whether she believes the house is still haunted, she says, Years later, when mom was still alive, there was always a presence there, something watching over you. As long as people don't meddle the way we did with Ouija boards, it is quite settled. It's a lot calmer than when I was a child. It's at rest, but will always be there. Janet reports that it was a priest's visit to Green Street that resulted in the incidents quieting down in autumn of 1978. Although the occurrences did not stop entirely, she says, with her mother continuing to hear noises in the house, Janet said, Even my brother, until the day he left that place after Mom died, would say, There's still something there. You'd feel like you were being watched. Janet said she continues to believe in the poltergeist, saying, It lived off me, off my energy. Call me mad if you like. Those events happened. The poltergeist was with me, and I feel that in a sense, he always will be. So, who lives at 284 Green Street now? After Peggy Hodgson dies, Claire Bennett and her four sons move into the house. And Claire says, and I quote, I didn't see anything, but I felt uncomfortable. There was definitely some kind of presence in the house. I always felt like someone was looking at me. Her sons would wake in the night, hearing people talking downstairs. Claire then found out about the house's history. Suddenly, it all makes sense, she said. They moved out just after two months. One of her sons, Shaka, says, The night before we moved, I woke up and saw a man come into the room. I ran into mom's room and said, we've got to move. And we did the very next day. The house is currently occupied by another family who do not wish to be identified. Understandably so. The mother says simply, I've got children. They don't know about it. I don't want to scare them. 
Though cynics may scoff, the story of the Enfield poltergeist has clearly lost none of its frightening power. So, what's the real story? Well, I guess we might have to spend a few nights in the home to find out for ourselves. And on that note, my darlings, we have come to the end of today's episode. I thank you for joining me here on today's episode. And I hope that you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think about the story. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you want to share your your thoughts about today's episode, or you're bored and you just need somebody to chat with, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it. Don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. (laughs) This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.